0: The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory there came to Jesus some Sadducees, those who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterwards the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. And Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are accounted worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. And some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks. It is an interesting first reading today about King Antiochus from the book of Maccabees. And what happens is, is that he starts to lose that power which he one, once had. So he had great power in his in military power. And so what you have in this account is he goes to take a particular place and he is defeated. He has to withdraw from that. And then also, so one of the places that he has conquered already done in Jerusalem is then taken back from his authority and his power. And his reaction to this, beginning to feel his power and his influence slip away from him, is that he goes into this great depression and this melancholy. One of my priest friends, a priest that I know, He says it's the only account in scripture of someone to sulk themselves to death, right? So they they have this completely irrational response to what is happening. He has this great sorrow because he thought that he was loved. He mistook the influence that he had by tyranny for love. He mistook people's obedience to him out of fear for love. And so what happens is he thought himself to be loved. He thought himself to be all of these things and he loved being in the position that he was and when that slowly was taken from him he slips into this uh, this melancholy this sadness and so when we see what's happening now in the gospel of luke for today you see that the sanhedrin those who had had real authority in jerusalem they begin to feel that authority slipping from them And they have this irrational response then to the one who is taking the crowds and the multitudes away from them, which is Jesus Christ. And so just to put this in context, we've had uh, the readings this week of Christ walking and going from Jericho all the way up to Jerusalem. And he enters into Jerusalem and, as we had yesterday, cleanses the temple. And what happens is after the cleansing of the temple, it says that the Sanhedrin, the elders, they desired to get rid of Jesus, but they were afraid of the multitude because it says the multitude hung on his words. The word in the Greek is very beautiful. It says it actually that they hung from his lips. They hung from his lips. They were so eager, the multitude, for everything that Christ taught and that he said. And so you have this great difference then between the elders, those who have this influence, and the multitude that is following Christ, which is that you have those who are in charge are desirous of earthly things. The reason that they are angry now with Christ is because he has hit them in their avarice, right? They were buying and selling in the temple. They were profiting from all of this activity. And when the Lord casts out that means by which they were getting all of these riches and this wealth, now they make a decision that it's time for him to go. He's attacked them where actually their treasure is, right? Literally, their hearts are attached to all of these riches. And so when the Lord touches that, this is now when it becomes intensified, this attack against him. And so they begin in this week to send repeatedly either Sadducees or Pharisees, all coming to the Lord now to try to catch him in what he says. They're afraid of this multitude who are now hanging upon the lips and the words of Jesus Christ. And to hang upon is also a beautiful image because you can only hang from something that is above you. And so the words of the Lord are like these hooks from heaven these things which come down into the soul and elevate the soul, lift the soul, and they are caught up in the delights now of heaven. The multitude are now desirous of spiritual things over earthly things, but the authorities are desiring earthly things over spiritual things. And so you know that there is going to be this meeting and this conflict. And so the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, what they are trying to do now is to catch the Lord publicly in his words. They're trying to get him to say something in front of the multitude that then they can say, you see, you shouldn't be listening to him. But they're unable to. Every time that they think they have, they have some new situation or theological problem that the Lord is not going to be able to answer or tackle, he responds with just this infinite wisdom that comes from God himself. And so immediately after the Lord has cleansed the temple, they come to him and they say, what authority do you have to do all of these things? And he knows that they are not asking because they desire the truth. He knows that there, there is this malice and this manipulation in their hearts. And so when someone is not actually looking for the truth, then the Lord sometimes doesn't respond immediately because he only speaks the truth. And so what he does is he turns it on them And he sees if they can give an honest answer. And if they will give an honest answer, then so will he. So he says, okay, I'll put this to you first. He says, the baptism of John, where is it from? Is it from heaven or is it from earth? And they know that if they say, well, it's from heaven, well, then John is a prophet. And John was the one who said, this is the lamb of God. And so they cannot go down that route because it only reaffirms who Jesus says he is. And if they say that it is not from heaven, it's from earth, well, then they fear what the multitude will say because all of the multitude believe John to be a prophet. And so they say, we do, not, we do not know. Instead of answering truthfully, all they do is consider what the multitude might do. And so because they do not answer truthfully, the Lord says, Well, then I will not answer you either. And so they go away. And then the Lord teaches a parable to the people who are still hanging on his words and he still continues to teach the multitude and to nurture them in his truth. And always interrupting this teaching are these Pharisees or Sadducees that keep coming to interrupt the Lord while he is giving to the multitudes these beautiful truths that come from heaven. And so the Pharisees come to him and they give him that, uh, the problem, because what they want is they want the Herodians now, they want civil authority to intervene and to get rid of this person who has become such a nuisance to them. So they come with the Herodians and they give the Lord this question, is it right to pay tribute to Caesar or not? And the Lord overturns that argument as we know. And after he has defeated and quieted the Pharisees for that round, then the Sadducees come in. And the Sadducees thinking now that he has defeated the Pharisees who are, they also are always in disagreement with, now they come to the Lord to try and see, okay, well maybe we can, we can overthrow this teacher We can catch him in his words. And so they present to him this ridiculous uh, theological problem that they've exaggerated to such an extent to try and see if they can catch the Lord out. And so what they're doing is they're going back to what is taught in Deuteronomy 25 about this type of thing. If a brother, if a man dies, then his brother should take his wife and raise up, it says, a child for his brother. And so then they add all of these extra problems. Okay, but what happens if he dies, and then the next one dies, and the next one dies? And then whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? Now, they don't believe in the resurrection. So what they're trying to show is that it's ridiculous to think that there is a resurrection because it doesn't even fit with what the Lord teaches. And so the Lord shows, it says in Matthew's gospel, at the beginning of his response, he says, you err because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. That's where they err. But they seem to know the scriptures because they quote from the scriptures. What St. Thomas Aquinas says is that to not know the scriptures doesn't mean that you haven't read them. It means that you haven't meditated upon them and you haven't understood them. And so they have neither meditated upon the word nor understood it, is what the Lord's rebuke is to these people. And then he gives an example, this example, from Moses. He goes to the authority that they will accept. They will accept Moses, and so he goes to Moses. And he says, again, he gives that example of Moses at the burning bush, where he says that uh, he is uh, the Lord, he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, God is the God of someone who worships him. When we worship God, then he is our God. And he cannot be worshipped by someone who is dead. To worship is a living activity. And so what the Lord is showing here is that there is an enduring of the soul even after death because the Sadducees did not believe that the soul continued after death. And so the Lord shows that the soul does continue after death and that these people are alive to God. They worship God and he is their God. And some might say, well, that doesn't point to the resurrection simply because the soul endures. But the soul and the body are always oriented to each other. We are made as a body-soul composite. And so the fact that the soul is eternal and lives for eternity is a sign that the body will also be resurrected to eternal life. And they all know what he has just done. They understand the wisdom that has just been poured out upon them and all the crowds and everyone now is hushed before the wisdom that has come from the mouth of Jesus Christ. And even the Sadducees now are confounded, amazed at this wisdom, this beautiful logic that comes from the Lord because he is truth, this way in which he is able to open the scriptures, not from the outside, but from the inside. He's able to get right into the intention of everything that is written because he is the Word. He is the Word. And so this opening of the Scriptures in true wisdom confounds and lifts up and continues to raise up this multitude that is following him. But also it now begins to influence at least some of the scribes, some of the Sadducees. He begins to open at least some hearts to this truth that he is teaching. And so the Lord in his wisdom now has, for this moment, stilled his critics. They will return. They will come back. Some, unfortunately, are so hard of heart that they are not open to this wisdom. They desire simply all of the earthly things that they had before this man, Jesus of Nazareth, came and disrupted all of their good life that they had. And they want to go back to that instead of to the kingdom that Christ is promising. But we can rejoice when we see that at least some of them open their hearts. And they said, Teacher, you have spoken well. They begin also to hang, if you will, from the lips of the Savior and welcome the truth that comes from him. What do we need to learn from the gospel today? We need to learn that we do not fall into the same trap, that the Lord will never say to us, You know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. To know the power of God is to know infinite power. There's nothing beyond what God can do. And to know the Scriptures means that we have taken time with them, meditated upon them in the light of church teaching, and come to understand them in the light of church teaching. And when we have done that, we also begin to taste the heavenly things. The words of the Lord in Scripture begin to hook the soul and raise it upwards so that we can literally hang from his words and be elevated by them. And then when you taste the sweetness of the truth that comes through meditation on the word, you have that same response, which is that our soul is stilled and we can respond to the Lord teacher. You have spoken well. Amen.